I would just have that feeling of loss that so much of my story wasn't coming out. But, you know, now I, I don't have those feelings at all. It's, it's just, I feel like my identity is more, I think that's maybe one of the benefits of getting older. I just feel like my identity is, I carry it with me. It's, it's, it is more wrapped up in how I show up in the world than in where I was educated or where I've worked or any of that. Hi, I'm Lara Dolch, and you're listening to She Knows the Way, a show about deciding what's next when doing what's expected no longer feels right. You just heard Corey Kaborlis talking about identity and how the way she thinks about identity has shifted over the years. It's gone from something defined from the outside to something more internal that goes with her no matter the situation. Corey and I are part of a small business group together. She's a high performance coach, talent expert, former Microsoft executive, and founder and principal of The Essential Group, a boutique talent development firm. I've always been impressed with her self-awareness and drawn to what I view as the richness of her different identities and interests. And so when I wanted to talk to someone about redefining identity, I immediately thought of Corey. I don't know about you, but I feel like my sense of identity has shifted dramatically since the beginning of the pandemic. I'm still trying to grasp at the threads that make up who I'm becoming. In my conversation with Corey, we talked about redefining your sense of self in response to major transitions, how we tell our new story after a shift in identity, what happens when our identity bumps up against societal norms, and how identity interacts with and is influenced by our friends, family, community, and work situation. One quick note before we get to Corey. I want to acknowledge that identity is a broad concept and encompasses many different ways of living and moving through the world. Corey and I are both white, straight, cisgender professional women. So our conversation is limited to our experience of the world through that lens. But there are parts of our experiences that I believe are universal. I hope this conversation provides inspiration for how you might integrate the different parts of your identity, no matter what they are. As we got started, I asked Corey if she wanted to introduce herself. It's so funny. I talk about all kinds of things all day long to all kinds of people. And the thing I hate to talk about the very most is introducing myself because it's by the time you reach midlife, you've had so many lives. Mm. Or yes. some of us have. Some of us have, you know, and, and I have. And there's so many aspects to my self and my identity, to use the word that we're talking about today. So it's what do you, what 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 level of conversation are are we going to have what how much time do you have like so that question introduce yourself i don't i don't even no you 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 do it <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love this no you're totally right you're totally right at some point in your life it becomes really difficult to frame that up and you're right it has to do with identity i have the same if someone says well tell us about yourself i'm well who's my audience what day is it you know, what do I think they want to know? What do I want to tell them? <laughs> There's so yeah. many variables. Which hat am I wearing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So let's stick with this for a minute. So today, 
what identity feels most present for you today? Today, I would say I, I'm really tapping into the solo creative solopreneur aspect of my identity. I am also tapping into the cat mom aspect of my identity because I have two fur babies that won't let me forget that. Today they're being especially loud. <laughs> so hopefully they won't make a guest appearance. Yeah. I think today it's mostly creative, creative solopreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm also someone who just is moving at least temporarily to a new location. So there's aspects of identity around that that feel fresh and relevant. You know, I'm, I'm a new person in town. It's time to meet people. It's time to figure out where do I spend time? Who do I spend time with? What does my life here look like? Is my life here completely temporary or something different? Those are parts of identity too that are present right now. Yeah. Well, and if you had to define identity or sense of self, however you want to frame that, what, how would you, what comes to mind when you think of that broadly? What does it mean? Yeah. I, well, when I was thinking about your topic, I was thinking, gosh, I mean, there's so many ways to answer it. One, one has to do with authenticity. And whenever I think about authenticity, I think about parts of self. And, you know, that gets back to what I was talking about a minute ago. Like there are so many parts of self and the same thing could be said about identities. I, I do think there's a core, I think we each have a core identity and that comes down to values and what matters to me and how I want to show up for the world and in the world. But layered immediately on top of that, there's, you know, the flavors of, of identity that I draw on as I move through the world. And as I play my various roles or allow different parts of myself to be expressed. But I, I would say within all of those, there is that, that core, that essence that comes down to the values and how I want to show up for the world. I love what you're saying about this idea of a primary identity. And then I think the word you used were flavors on top of that. That I especially love as someone who loves food because it makes me think of like seasoning, you know, <laughs> how you can take a really basic dish and then you can add these different seasonings to it to adjust it. So talk to me about that. What do you see as your primary identity, if you can even say that? And then what are the current flavors that are coming yeah. up right now? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think my primary identity has to do with integrity, irreverence, curiosity, meaning, expression, quality. Those those things, some of us think of those as values, but I know values is one of those words that we could disagree about what it really means, but I think those things kind of are the current that runs through everything that I've done and how I strive to, to be consistent in the world. Flavors of that, I'm an outdoors woman and I'm a fairly experienced, accomplished outdoors woman. I'm, the more I 
spend time outdoors with other people, the more I realize I'm a healthy person. Like I'm very healthy and strong. And I, I think that I, that's something that comes naturally to me based on a lifetime of movement. And so I don't really acknowledge it that way. But the more I spend time with people, I notice, oh, that's a flavor. That's a flavor that's mine. I am artistic. I am a communicator. I'm a listener. Not only am I a professional listener, but I actually just enjoy listening. That's, that's the way I've been my entire life. I ask a lot of questions. I actually want to hear the answers. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm a businesswoman. It's another flavor. I'm a host. I, I think we, we each have such a long list of flavors. Yeah, you're reminding me of something that a woman that I worked with years ago had a, she was a, a website designer and, or a brand designer more broadly. And she had a, a quiz that she asked her clients to take mostly for fun. And also I think to help guide the way we were thinking about our style and the way we wanted to show up in our brand and all that kind of stuff. And her quiz termed me as an elegant hippie. And I was like, yes. And the reason I'm reminded of it is kind of what you're saying about integrity and businesswoman and this side of you. And then you've also got this outdoorsy sort of, I don't know. I think what I'm realizing as we're talking is yes, we all have all these different flavors and sometimes they are, um, in con not really in conflict with one another, but some might say they're in conflict, right? So elegant and hippie <laughs> are intentionally words that are in conflict. That was her intention there. But for me, I got it, right? Yeah. Does that happen for you? Do you feel conflict between these different flavors ever? Oh, yeah. In fact, I guess if I could answer the, your question in the same vein that you, you just modeled, mine would be fiercely respectful. <laughs> <laughs> Or something like that. I'm a fiercely irreverent, respectful person. <laughs> uh, and yes, yes, irreverently respectful, or something yeah, like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's better. Yeah, because I, I do feel that way. Looking back across my life, I feel like I've done so many things that people would think are rebellious and fiercely individualistic. And yet my belief, my intent anyway, and my belief is that through all of that, I've been very respectful of my commitments, my relationships, and the context that I'm trying to belong to and have an impact in. Yeah. Tell me about a time when you felt like your identity or one that you were exploring maybe bumped up against expectations from friends or family or society? That's another one of those things that really changes, I think, as you get older. So the wonderful thing is I don't, I don't really get hung up on that anymore. But I do remember some of the big changes I made when I was new in career, you know, were, yeah, really hard for people. I mean, I know when I was in my late 20s, maybe I had just turned 30, and I was about to leave my first law firm. And I was also going to get a divorce from a starter marriage. And my parents had a really hard time with that. They couldn't accept it. And my dad actually said some really terrible things to me about how I was really taking myself down a notch in society and ruining my life. And because I was just turned 30, those were really difficult messages to hear. But I knew I had to, had to take action anyway, because I was the one 
living my own life. So I was going to have to live with my choices. My dad was not going to have to live with my choices as intimately as I was. So that was probably one of my early adult difficult experiences with that. A little bit different one with, with friends came later as I had friends who stayed in the jobs that, that, that we had all trained to be in. And I kept changing. You know, I would change, I would do my career for several years. I would have the experience that I wanted to have from it. And it would be time for me to have a new experience. And so I would take a risk or what looked like a risk to others. It was well thought out from my perspective, but it would look risky or even crazy to others. And I remember there was one community I was part of, very conservative professional community. And I remember I'd already made this particular change that I'm having in mind. And I was socializing with them and I was sharing some aspect of my life. And I remember kind of having one of those out-of-body experiences when you look around you and you notice, you know, you're being, you're kind of being looked at as an other. And in this particular moment, I remember my life, they were experiencing my life as a curiosity. And the questions that they were asking me, I felt were coming a little bit more from an orientation of let's be entertained rather than let's connect. And I remember that moment I was thinking, you know, I'm going to take a break from this group. I take a break from questions. What kinds of questions were they asking you? Do you remember? Well, it was, it was less the actual questions and more the, the spirit in which the questions were asked and the way in which the information was received. And I can't really describe it in words other than to say in that moment where I looked around the room and had that out of body experience, I realized I was entertainment Mm. and that, that was not a feeling that I was going to provide for them, you know, without having signed up for that. I, I was in those relationships for connection. And I realized my life at that point had taken enough of a turn. The risks that I had taken othered me essentially from that group. And they are still my friends to this day, but on a different basis. But in that moment, I had to take a break because I was not entertainment. Oh my God, Corey, I, for some reason, I'm feeling that really deeply, which makes me wonder how often I've felt that way because I can relate to as you know, from our friendship, we've, I have also made twists and turns and different choices in my life, whether that was for career purposes or living on the other side of the country with my family or lots of things. And yeah, when you were describing it, I don't know, I'm, just, I'm still, I have, I'm having a very visceral reaction to the story that you just shared. So what did, what did it feel like for you in that moment? What was your sort of body reaction in that moment? I f- I mean, I felt unbelonging. That was the big picture. I felt very, that sense of not belonging. And I think in my body, it was just, you know, that feeling of, I want to get out of here. It's now time to exit this room. Yeah. You know, exit stage left. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So how have you, it sounds like these people are still in your life. How have you processed that experience and created a a new frame for the relationships that works for you now. Yeah, man, that's a whole topic, but I have spent a lot of time in my life really thinking about relationships. I mean, I think I'm here to do relationship and the work I do is even though it's mostly focused on professional life, it's really about relationships. How do we get work done? We get work done through relationships. How do we get anything done through relationships? But one of the things that's been really profound for me to realize about relationships is it's extremely helpful to understand what a relationship is. So there's this ancient framework and this sounds so 
nerdy, but it comes from Aristotle. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'll that. just keep it super basic. But the most basic explanation is that there's three kinds of friendships. And one is transactional. Those would be the friends that you have simply because you're transacting something with them. So it could be the other moms at your kid's school that you see only during pick up and drop off. That's a transaction. You will not be friends with those people unless you create a different friendship. You will not be friends with those people once that pick up and drop off routine ends or your kids change school or whatever. Another transactional relationship would be the people in your neighborhood unless you become different kinds of friends with them. But at a most basic level, those are transactional friends. The next level of friends are pleasure friends. Those might be friends that you like to go hiking with, but you wouldn't be in a book club with, or you wouldn't ask for advice from maybe about career choices. And then the highest level of friends are something called virtue friends or virtuous friends. And those are the friends that are much more comprehensive and they really do bring out something better in you. They call, they call out something higher quality. And for me, one of the most helpful things in life has just been to realize most friends are not that third type of friend. That's a very rare and special thing. And to be, to accept that, you know, to be okay with that and to allow other friends to be exactly the kind of friend that they want to be and not hold them uh, to some standard that they didn't sign up for. Yeah. I love that framework, actually. That, I think that's super helpful because to your point, we can some, I, I can certainly sometimes get hung up on, I've talked about this, not having a, a type of friendship that I want with a certain person. And maybe that's just not the type of friend that they are. Right? And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of forgiveness inherent in living by that framework. And it yeah. does allow me anyway to move through so many of my interactions in a way that's just much more peaceful. Well, and it sounds like this group of friends that you were talking about earlier kind of moved into one of those earlier stages. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they, at this point in our lives, they've become pleasure friends. There's a certain activity that I do with that group and I don't do anything else with that group. And that works. Since you brought up the Aristotle framework. I'm actually intrigued by something that you mentioned on your website about your, you phrased it as your early fascination with various mythological and folk traditions and theories of consciousness. I'm super curious how that part of you informs your sense of identity. It shows up in my life, my identity and my work in my steadfast belief that there's more, um, there's more than meets the eye is one way to say it. And I think one of the ways that has shown up in my life very consistently is we can each be living the exact same life. And one of us can be having an experience that's pretty mundane. And the other one can be having an experience that's extremely elevated. And largely that can be invisible. And it comes from what is not, what is not seeable. So I remember when I was a very young girl, just wanting reality to be a little bit more interesting and sparkly than what it seemed to be. And at that time, I became fascinated with witches and with witchcraft. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I'll be honest, I still am. I'm into it. Oh, totally. But you know, the funniest <laughs> thing was, so I grew up in a tiny town in Idaho that I was living in Idaho at the time. And I would go to the library and ask the librarian for the books on witches. And they would send me the kids section 
of the library. And I would go back to the library to say, no, I want the books that are talking about witches. I don't want like a kid's story for witches. I want the books that are talking about witches. And I remember this librarian took me way back into some corner, got me on a ladder. I had to climb way up to the top of this ladder. And there were, I don't know, three books on witches. And I checked them out. I was so excited. And then when I got them home and got into them, I was so disappointed because I thought I was going to be getting a handbook on how to be a witch and how to do witch stuff and cast spells and turn people into frogs. And, you know, <laughs> instead, instead, it was just a book about Salem or something like that. And that was just the beginning of a long line of exploration and experimentation to figure out how can I control the experience that I'm having in life in a way that isn't necessarily about control, but, but is about making sure I'm not the one living the mundane life. You know, that, that's probably my greatest fear. Probably my entire life has been my greatest fear is a fear of having a mundane life. And, and I'm fortunate enough to say, I don't think I have, but, but it comes from this belief that narrative is important. Myth is important. The unseen is important. And we need to take responsibility for what those, what fact, what those factors have to do with how we live our lives. So when, when, in terms of my work, one of the things that's really important to me is understanding that we can change state. That's something that's entirely up to us. And we do it with narrative. We do it with myth. We do it with how we set up our, our brains for the day. You know? Yeah. I love this. I think we should just have a whole conversation about witches. Come in. <laughs> Maybe we will in a minute, but I, it's reminding me. So there's so many things about what you just said that I love. One, one is this idea of, yes, like you said, not controlling, but having an impact on our experience. Right. And we see what we expect to see. Right. And your valuing of wonder and magic, at least the way I'm hearing it reminds me of something that I think it's something that Brene Brown said in one of her books where she said something to the effect of I'm going to get it totally wrong, but something effective. I don't trust a priest who does not believe in science. And I don't trust a scientist who doesn't believe in the power of magic. Something Hmm. to that effect. I'm sure I got that. I totally butchered it. Sorry, Brene. But I, that really resonated with me because I'm totally going off topic with identity, except that I do think, I do think that lens impacts the way that we show up in our, in our different identities. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I think you can tell when you're in conversation with someone who believes in possibility versus someone who does not. And a belief in possibility has everything to do with magic and wonder. Yeah. You know, and I think if you have a relationship with magic and wonder, and you believe in possibility, then you're going to have an artful life. Whether or not you think of yourself as an artist or an artful person or a creative, you're going to have an artful life. And I think that sounds like a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we see what we expect to see, right? What has been your experience when you have sensed that your identity maybe is shifting? How did you know 
and what changed about the lens that you saw the world through? Yeah. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is what changes is a sense of urgency for me. When, I, when I'm having the sense that the experience I'm in is complete and something new is emerging or needs to emerge, I get a sense of urgency and excitement. And as I was thinking about your topic too, I realized for me, identity, I know this isn't true, but for me, identity is almost synonymous with change. And I love change. I've always thought of myself as a change junkie, somebody who just loves it. And often I've had occasion to say to people, if they think they're going through a midlife crisis, I say, oh, you're so lucky. I've had three (laughs) (laughs) and I can't wait for the next one. And it it really gave me pause because I know so many people have such a hard time with change. And I realized that an area of my life I've been fortunate in is that so much of my change is self-driven. And I don't know... I don't know if that's true or if that's an illusion because at the same time as I look back on my life, I, I can also say I've had a lot of adversity and trauma, which tends to come from change that's imposed upon you. But most of that happened when I was a lot younger and hadn't really come into my full agency. And I, I think one of the things that came out of having early, early life adversity is the um, determination to be on top of change that needs to happen in my life and to be somebody who goes after the changes that need to happen rather than burying my head in the sand and being surprised when finally the change has to come. I feel like I'm one of my things I'm decent at is staying ahead of the change and being on top of when, when a change needs to happen. Say more about that. What do you mean by staying ahead of the change? Yeah, I, I I am very, I think one of the most important things to me in my life is to be having an experience and um, many experiences, you know, but whatever experience I'm in, I'm having that experience and going along with having an eye on, am I having the experience I want is when is this experience complete? And when do I feel like I've learned everything that there is to learn in this experience? And once that time comes, really opening my eyes, scanning the horizon, paying attention to myself, to my longings, to understand what is it that I need to create next. And so I think usually because I am, I do have a practice of staying on top of that. I am making, I'm going after the changes before the changes are happening to me. And when you say you have a practice of staying on top of them, I'm interpreting that as you have an awareness, a self-awareness. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of my jobs is to pay attention to, to my life and to whether or not I'm satisfied with it. And am I still having, it's two things. It's, am I internally satisfied with the experience I'm having? And am I externally showing up in a way that aligns with my values and that is having a beneficial impact for others. When either of those two things starts to soften around the edges, and it's probably not discernible to anybody else, but to me, because I'm in the practice of paying attention to it, if it starts to soften around the edges, it's time for me to figure that out. It's either time for me to find a way to re-engage with where I am or to make some changes. And often the answer for me has been, okay, I am complete. I got everything out of this experience. 
and to make a change. And sometimes those changes are really confusing for others. I mean, one example that that comes to mind as we're speaking right now was when I left an executive position at, at Microsoft. I had a great title. I had incredible compensation. I had a really good boss. I had a good team. And it was kind of, we, we designed a concept, proved the concept, and it was now, the, the hard work was done. It was smooth sailing. And that was when I realized this experience is complete. I could stay here. I could do really well here, continue doing really well here, but this experience is complete. I've learned I've mastered the machine. I've learned what there is to learn and it's time to make a change. And so I ended up retiring from Microsoft. I did not yet know what I was going to do next. I knew I was going to continue contributing. Because that was such a baffling move to make for so many people in my professional community at the time, people had a really hard time with it. They were confused by it. And some people even made up stories about it. And obviously, in certain respects, that was hurtful to me to have people impose a story on top of what I was doing. But, you know, I had to realize the sto- those stories were not about me. Those stories were about them. And when someone's saying something bizarre about you that, that really doesn't have much to do with you, it isn't about you. It's, it's, about some, it's about how they would respond or one of their deepest fears or something that's already happened to them. And so you just have to put it aside. But that was coming from a place of people just could not wrap their heads around why anybody would leave a successful position like that. That's, that's been a reaction to many moves that I've made in my life. And that's okay. I think somewhere along the way, I learned that the validation has to come from inside. Have you, have you had moments in the past before you came to this place of being able to navigate those and distance yourself from them a little bit? Have you had moments where you were, I cannot, I just don't even want to leave the house right now. (laughs) I don't really let myself do that too much. I, I think when I was a lot younger, I would say in my teenage years, I definitely had a few of those moments. And I, I remember one time very distinctly when I was a teen and it just came to me, like it fell from the sky that I had a choice to make. The choice was mine. I could completely give in to a negative experience that was my entire context at the time, or I could choose not to. And it really felt in that moment, both of those paths were equally available to me. And in that moment, I chose, I'm not going to be a victim. I don't, I don't particularly like the feeling and I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself off and keep going. And that wasn't the end of it. I mean, I would say even into my, I mean, that was a powerful moment where I really learned you got, you're the one who's going to decide to get up off the sidewalk and keep, keep walking or not. But I would say in my twenties, when I was trying to make a big decision, I still, I would, I would talk to everyone. I wanted everyone's opinion about it. I wanted to hear what everybody else would have done. And that never helped actually. That ended up just too many voices, too many cooks in the kitchen And so I think one of the learnings in my 20s was hearing other people's opinion, other people's advice still has an important role in my life, but it, it, it can't be the first stop in a decision process. By the time I'm talking to other people about what they would do or what they think about what I'm going to do, I've already spent a lot of time internally processing and I've already got a pretty good idea of, you know, the risks and the payoffs to the thing that I'm probably going to do. And then it's time to take, take my decision out for a test drive. I'd kind of see, is there feedback here that I didn't think about yet? Is there feedback here that I should be thinking about? But 
when I'm talking to other people now, it doesn't have quite the effect that it did in my twenties. Yeah. Is there anything about being who you are now that surprises you? I am surprised at how, yeah, (laughs) I am. I want to hear, I want to hear, I want to ask you the same question. That's fine. You can interview the interviewer. Yeah. But I want to hear your answer first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. It's, it's funny because even as you asked it, the first thing that came to mind was confidence. And then I laughed because that's so surprising to me in this moment to say that. But the way, the way I am able to move in the world right now, I think I've been through so many things and I've had so many experiences and I'm okay that, that what's come out of that is I'm very confident that I can handle whatever happens. And that is a big surprise because I don't think I grew up. Well, I certainly didn't grow up expecting to feel that way at at this point in my life. Mm. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Gosh, I don't even know. Let me think, let me think about it. What surprises me about being who I am now, I guess. Well, I certainly, yeah. I mean, if you talked to me in those teenage years and told told me that I was a going to have a long career in the entertainment industry and B going to live on the West coast. I would have been like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And also if you told me that I was going to eventually have my own business, I just had no, I mean, I certainly had people in my life who were entrepreneurs. I mean, my aunt and uncle had their own business. My, my dad had his own business for many years. I certainly had models for that, but I don't know. I just, yeah, that surprises the hell out of me. I don't, I frankly don't even, even though I, like you in many ways have been very intentional about getting where I am. So there's some things about this that don't surprise me because I wanted these things and I sort of laid a path to make them happen over time. But big picture wise, I could never have anticipated the life that I'm living right now because I didn't know it existed. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Yeah. I mean, it's it's super surprising. Yeah, I feel the same way. I would never have. I mean, I think I thought I was going to be a professor or a ballerina. Or at one point, I thought I would pull espresso. I mean, and the things that have happened in my life are so much more varied and <laughs> far flung. Yeah, it's funny. Often, Often people come to me and they say, Oh, well, I want to do what you're doing now or three careers ago. I want to do what you, how, how do I get there? Should I do X? And I'm like, gosh, I don't know. I really wish that I could be the person who sat here and told you I had a plan and I worked my plan. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I am here to tell you that is not what happened. So, <laughs> well, and I should be fair. I made it sound earlier. Like I was one of those people. And some of that is true. But the early, there was an early stage where I just was winging it. And then there was a period of time where I was more intentional and then I was just winging it again. So I hear you. I'm like, I don't know how to tell people how I ended up here. Yeah. But you know what the the coolest thing for me is about having made all these moves and had all these experiences. I do think going back to what I said that surprises me about who I am today, it surprises me that I'm confident. And I think that confidence comes from having done so many things and having it work out. It's worked out really well. And then I try something else and it works out really well. And I try something else and it works out really well. That has given me so much confidence. It's, it's, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Nothing broke. Nothing broke. 
Yeah. Yeah. And even when it doesn't go well, or even when, at least for me, when I don't get what I want, what I've learned is that I can figure it out. I think what you just described, yeah, has showed up for me in that way. I, I have navigated so many ups and downs and now I just know that I can. Mm-hmm. And so I don't stress out the, about that. I mean, I still get stressed sometimes, but not in the same way that I used to, because I know I'll just figure it out. Well, I love that quote, Marie Forleo, right? It's all figure outable. <laughs> oh my God. That's a throwback. I have, wow. I haven't thought of that in a, <laughs> in a long time. Yeah. The other thing I think for me that, that has really changed that is to realize, like you said something a minute ago about even if it doesn't work out. And I think I've really changed how I think about, is it working out or not working out? And for me, if I'm having an experience and I'm learning, it's working out. So that, that has really freed me up from real expectations that can be limiting, that can pull on a scarcity mindset, which I have. I definitely have that from time to time, but I work with it so that I can do all the fun, exciting things that I get to do in life. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's right. I will often say to clients and students, everything's an experiment. And I think that's a mindset that I probably picked up from someone else years ago. I don't know who to credit for it, but everything's an experiment in business and in life. And it takes the pressure off of it. And so you're collecting data. That's the frame that I think of it from. I'm mm-hmm. just collecting information. Yeah. And I'll make my next experiment from that, you know? Absolutely. And if you think about it, it's uh, uh, the way I hear that anyway, is that it's a more loving way to be a more loving, compassionate way to be in your life with yourself. You're not standing in judgment, succeed or fail. You're like, I'm having an experiment and I will be observing what happens in the experiment and learning from it. And that's fine. When we spoke a few weeks ago, you said something that I thought was interesting. You said, with each career change, my identity has become more diffuse and more difficult to describe. Can you say more about that and specifically how you've shaped your story, you know, as that has happened? Yeah, I think early on that, now I find the fun in it, the fun in telling the story, shaping the story. But I think early on... in the face of one of my first career moves, I was leaving. I think I'd already been a litigator and I was a intellectual property litigator. And then I, one of the easy changes was I became a high-tech attorney at the time it was in the internet and e-commerce area. So that dates, dates me a little bit, (laughs) but that was the big exciting edge for legal stuff at the time. But after doing that for a few years, I, my artist side was, was really getting noisy. And I actually took a break from practicing law for a couple of years to be a visual artist, have some solo art shows down in Taos, New Mexico, and to make a movie with a friend. Did that for a couple of years and then it was time to come back. And I, I came back and went to work for Microsoft initially as a, as a lawyer again for them. And I remember you know, maybe before I came back to Microsoft, I, I remember must've been when I was still down in New Mexico and then Los Angeles, when I would meet new people, there was suddenly this challenge in describing who I was that I had not had before. Before, when I was at a top tier law firm, if I just told people, oh, I work at this law firm, that was shorthand for so much more information about me. Just by saying I, I'm a lawyer at this law firm, people I met 
already knew a lot about my education, a lot about my grit and my determination and my work ethic and what I did in my after hours. I don't, it just was so much easier. And I remember when I was down outside of the law and I was an artist and I was making a movie, nobody would know any of that about me. And I was still very young. And I think one of the things that happens to us when we're very young is we are shaping our identity for ourselves and for the community that we hope to form. And so that was really just difficult for me to know how do I let people know that, yeah, I'm an artist now and I've had all these other experiences too. And that did not, that was not easy for me at the time. After that, I went to work for Microsoft. I was an in-house counsel for a while. So people could quickly understand I was a lawyer so that my life became a little bit easier. But then what was lost was that I was an artist. And somewhere along the way, I'd been a yoga instructor for the rich and famous in Los Angeles. Where does that come in? And then I left the law entirely and became a business person doing stuff in technology that nobody understands. And I would meet people and it was just like, let's not even try. I can't, I can't, you know, I, I, and, and I'm speaking particularly or specifically about professional roles because at the time I was living in Seattle and for those of you who are familiar with Seattle, when you meet people in Seattle, one of the first questions almost always is, what do you do for work? You can live other places. I fully recognize where that never comes up. In fact, where I'm sitting right now in Bend, Oregon, nobody ever asks what you do for work. They ask, what did you do for play today? <laughs> so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of freedom in that. But yeah, in Seattle, people were always asking, what do, what do you do for work? And be like, well, this is what I do. And then I would just have that feeling of loss that so much of my story wasn't coming out. But, you know, now I, I don't have those feelings at all. It's, it's just, I feel like my identity is more, I think that's maybe one of the benefits of getting older. I just feel like my identity is, I carry it with me. It's, it's, it is more wrapped up in how I show up in the world than in where I was educated or where I've worked or any of that. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And, and I, yeah, I can relate to that too. I don't necessarily feel the the compulsion to make people understand it anymore. Yeah. Well said. I think that's huge. Yeah. I think that's huge. And, and also I think there's a feeling of, and if, if you do need to understand it more, we'll, we'll find the time. Right. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to happen in this interaction. We'll find the time if we decide to. Tell people where they can find you, where they can connect with you. If they they want can to. find me. Yeah. If, if they can spell my name, they can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's a good place to get in touch with me. But also my company is The Essential Group and there's a website. It's www.the-essential-group.com. And I would love to hear from, from you, particularly if this conversation has sparked anything for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Corey. This was really fun. Thank you. This was fun. So much fun to spend time with you this way. Special thanks to Corey Kaborlis for speaking with us for this episode. If you'd like to connect with Corey, you can find her at her website, theessentialgroup.com. That's the-essential-group.com or on LinkedIn. This episode of She Knows the Way was written, edited, and produced by me, Laura Dolch. For more episodes, hit subscribe or follow or like or heart wherever you're listening right now. And if you'd like to stay in touch, email me at hello at lauradolch.com 
Tell me how you think about your identity now and how it's changed over time. Finally, if you know someone who might benefit from this conversation, please send this episode their way. Until next time, trust that you know the way.